Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Thank you, Father, for your presence with us. Thank you for the ministry that you are already doing, the work that you continue to be doing. May we have attentive hearts, minds and spirits to you in this moment. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, As I said, we're getting to halfway through this series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, And if this is your first time amongst us or you're not sure about this whole Jesus or church, um, then we just really want to welcome you. We invite you just to um, some things you might not understand, some things might be new to you. Uh, That's okay. We're happy to have conversations to go deeper with you and to uh, walk with you in discovering who Jesus is and what this might mean for you and what that relationship might look like for you. Um, if you're um, been regular amongst us, as always, and for everyone, we ask you to open up your scriptures. You might have your Bibles open or the Version Bible app that can help you follow along, write your own notes um, and continue the conversation. That will help you. The material that I'm using or the message is really a, an introductory framework to the, the teaching that we're doing in this uh, course over this eight weeks. Pete Scazzaro uh, um, ministers a bit uh, more deeply and gives some uh, deeper teaching than I might, but it's just to give us a help framework and something a little bit different um, than what might be said through the course. His chapter in chapter four of his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is called uh, Journey Through the Wall, Letting Go of Power and Control. Now, that sounds like an exciting chapter, doesn't it? Um, I'm sure that we're already thrilled. Now, in in complete transparency and complete authenticity and complete openness, uh, this is not a once-off experience. Um, But neither are we Captain Marvel that can just go barging through walls at will with our great shield. Neither are we Iron Man covered in some giant red suit that just powers through walls regardless of what they're made of. Neither are we Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel who can just overcome these huge obstacles because of their skills or alien powers or scientific experiments. We are none of that. Uh, What we are is uh, human beings created in the image of God, which makes it slightly more interesting. Um, So, and I warned us at the start of this series that some of these conversations wouldn't be that easy. Wouldn't be that easy and some of us would find it difficult and we might even be thinking, oh, this doesn't really apply to me or I'm not really interested or I'm not really learning anything. Can I encourage us to stay the course? This is about the time. This is about the time where we become a bit disinterested um, or we, become, we find other things to distract us. If there is an overused word at the moment, in all of society, it would be journey. Some people are agreeing with that, yeah. Uh, I mean, journey describes our travels. Journey describes our holidays. We're going on a journey does the bear, we're going on a bear hunt? Is Journey in the bear hunt song? No, I can't remember. Anyway, that's a slight distraction. Uh, football clubs are going on a journey. Um, if Craig McRae of the Collingwood Football Club says one more time, we're going to go on a journey, I'm probably going to reach through the television screen at him. Um, he needs to find a different word. Business organisations use a journey. Churches use a journey. 
in the Churches of Christ Summit, I reckon I would have heard Journey to describe ministry, faith, church life about half a dozen times, and seriously, I wanted to throw something. And yet, here we are, journeying through a wall. And this is the word that we're going to use. Public transport app helps you plan your journey. If you go on the public transport app to go to Melbourne or anywhere else, that's their, that's their kind of motto, their statement. Let us plan your journey. Um, and the beauty about the journey, and especially if you use the transport app, is that you have a destination. Yeah? And if you have a destination, particularly if you're going on holidays, you have a return journey. Um, which makes it kind of easy. The Australian College of Ministries, uh, the train, one of the training institutions in Australia, is asking people if they are ready to start their journey, if they're ready to take their leadership journey, if they're ready to take the next step in their leadership journey. The trouble with this, when we talk about it in times of church or ministry or particularly faith, is that it often comes without knowing your destination. And if we were to be honest, that's probably what irks us the most. We don't know the destination or what's on the other side of the journey. Now, as I said, this is about the time where some of us will start to check out. This, halfway through this series, this conversation, some of us will start to go, nah, this isn't for me. Maybe you're attending the course and you're going, I'm not really getting anything out of it. Maybe you're finding other excuses that you're too busy, your hearts are already full, you've already done all this work or you're not willing to do all this work. I want to encourage us um, to stay the course. You might be starting to wonder if it's worth it. Uh, yeah, it's not what you're expected. I want to encourage us, if you're doing the course, let it sit, let it stir, let it take root. Even if it's not in this time, in this season, I encourage us there will be a time and a place and a season where we are called to go back to it and revisit some of the material. Because this is actually the challenge I think for the church and for many people who have been in Christianity for a long period of time, we already think we know it all. That might be shocking to some of you, but you don't, just as I don't. You've experienced everything that's possible to experience. No, you haven't. And the, one of the great challenges is to put ourselves aside and to actually work out and to trust that God is doing a deep work within us even when we can't see it. Even when he cuts up those bits that we thought were great and we were enjoying when he cuts those bits off or when it's happening in the darkness because he's planting a new seed in us that we cannot yet see breaking through the surface. The wall, to journey through the wall, is a season, a stage, a stopover in our faith journey. Um, and it will determine, at each time it happens to us, at any point that we've got to make the decision here, it will determine if we grow into emotionally healthy and spiritual mature people of faith, or if we continue in emotionally unhealthy and spiritual immaturity. These, this is one of the most critical moments in our lives. And I say moment, recognising that they are often extended moments. <laughs> Some of us are sitting here going, man, if only you knew what wall I was in and have been in for the last six months, 10 years, 20 years. Yeah? I've got no answers for that. It's a reality. 
and it can stink, suck even. So we face trials in James chapter 1, verses 2. Consider it... Oh man, if you've never read the Bible again uh, before, you'll laugh at this. And if you have, you'll still laugh. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, put your hand up if in the middle of a trial you go, Oh boy, so much joy. (laughs) We don't, do we? Because you know, and we don't, and we forget this. We absolutely, sorry, using Pete Scazzaro's guidelines for the course, I forget this. I forget that I know that the testing of my faith will produce perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, some of us step away much too early. Some of us walk away much too early from the hard work. Some of us, all we find, and I say walk away, it might mean that we find other things that will distract us or fill our time up or overwhelm us or take our attention, anything to avoid the persevering work that God wants to do in us. And that's just the trials. So the trials, and you might have different expressions or I, I imagine trials in this instance to be the small disappointments you know, the frustration on your way to work and there's someone standing at the counter of the coffee shop that doesn't yet know what they want to order. Or they stand at the coffee shop and they go, I'll have a coffee, please. But they don't know what coffee they want. That's a trial. <laughs> Maybe your money doesn't arrive on time. Maybe you're overcharged. Or maybe you don't have the money to pay the bill. That's a trial. Maybe the tradie doesn't come when they say. Maybe our family relationships and our friendships have changed. That's a trial. Paul writes to the Romans church in uh, chapter 5, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. <laughs> come on, Paul. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hands up, if, if every time you read that, you go, oh, yeah. Oh, no, oh, it's just, it is just me. Okay. Um, all right. Now, so, I think there was some distinction. I use the two words here, trials and sufferings. Because sufferings, this was a group being persecuted for their faith. This was a, a group of people being put to death for their faith. It's that, it's that prayer that Kath, uh, Kat said uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Consider it joy or remember there are blessings when you are persecuted for doing what is right or you are persecuted for your faith. There is suffering that is, might be outside of your control, that is beyond anything that you can bring to it beyond understanding, and it might be that you are ridiculed for your faith, that it might be the loss of friendships despite your best efforts or for no reason or no understanding. It could be long-term illness, unexpected death, abuse and trauma. That's suffering. But let me say this, whether trial or suffering, what is small for one person might be overwhelming and crushing for another person. Yeah? 
So Collingwood losing a grand final by a kick is overwhelming, just to highlight, is overwhelming and crushing for me. And for you, you'll be laughing it off. Because you don't care about me. No, 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 yeah, yeah. But you get the point, don't you? See, the issue is not always whether we understand. And this is part of the trouble. And if you're going through suffering or trials, to actually expect everyone else to understand what you're going through might be actually an unreasonable expectation. But what is small for one will be crushing for another. And the journey through the wall requires that we let go of power and control. And whatever circumstance we go through, it requires compassion. Uh, toward ourselves as much as toward one another. It requires some empathy, some willingness to be with people even if we don't get what they're experiencing. To be with people without answers. It requires courage to recognise what's happening and it requires authentic responses. It requires humility as we face the reality, the truth that we are not in control. Despite our best efforts, we've done everything right. We've followed procedure. We've been good people. And stuff still happens to us that we have no say out of. Now, there's a few different responses to this when we face the wall. We can get stuck. We can just sit just before the wall, just at the wall, and woe is me and how terrible life is. Now, there might actually be a time and a season where that's appropriate. And that might be an honest, authentic, transparent response. But if we're staying there, we've got some issues. We can just push through and pretend that everything's rosy. Pretending that we are okay, we can completely ignore what's happening and in so doing we actually become bitter and resentful and judgmental because then we get into a place of comparison. It's not fair. Why has this happened to me? Why aren't they? All that. Or we can learn to wait Surrender to God, to uh, walk with God and to trust in what God is doing and what he might be revealing to us. We can plant ourselves in such a way that we flourish in God. Now, the thing about this that I've been really reminded of over the last little time too is what we offer here, what I offer right now is an absolute gift to you. I cannot do any more work for you than what we offer here. Once we leave this place, or even right, not even once we leave, actually right now, how you respond and how you receive this is completely up to you. Any, any message that you hear any worship service that you hear, any conversation that you have where someone might challenge your mindset, your behaviour, your understanding, your reflection, your lifestyle, is a gift that you can just go stuff in a cupboard somewhere or throw in the bin on your way home or open it up 
and see what God might actually invite you to. Pete Scazzaro in his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, writes this, Without an understanding of the wall in the journey, countless sincere followers of Christ stagnate there and no longer move forward with God's purpose for their lives. I cannot tell you, over an interesting book to write or a conversation to write, how many people have sit in a conversation with me and tell me of things that happened so long ago that they haven't yet surrendered to Jesus. And they're the Christians. So many other people that we want to blame. And there might be some blame that needs to be apportioned to them. Fair enough. But so many people, so many Christians, followers of Jesus, who would proclaim that they do all the things that are required for them. And yet they get stuck. Because we keep harking back to Egypt moments. Some of us hide behind our faith to flee the pain of our lives rather than trust God to transform us through it. We are to platitudes like, in all things, God works for the good. Now, there is a truth there, yeah? There is a truth there. But to say that as a dismissive kind of statement actually becomes dishonest in our relationship with God. We can know that as a truth. We've, if we follow Jesus for any length of time, we've gone through, if we've lived, if we're breathing, we know that we've gone through hardship and we can know that God is working something out. But it's not healthy just to barge through it and actually ignore the burden that we might be carrying or the heartache that we might be carrying. That's just Pete's point. We smile and we sing contemporary praise songs about our victory in Jesus. But we don't curse or get bitter toward God. That might be a shocking statement to some of you. We question ourselves. God, the church, we discover that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answered at the very foundation of our faith. Feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he is doing, where he is going, how he is getting us there, when this will be over. Oof. So what does the wall look like? How might we be experiencing the wall? It might actually be some expressions or some outcomes of the wall. It could be those things that once gave us joy we no longer find any life in. They're the things that no longer sustain us. To knowing that we're in the wall, it might mean that we've become isolated and disconnected. It might be worth asking, what's happening there for us? That we feel the need to remove ourselves and stay removed. We might start to feel that God has deserted us. Where prayer and time with Jesus and abiding with Jesus was once energising and refreshing, it now feels dry and meaningless and just hard work. Where yesterday's scripture was alive and we felt like we were going deeper into a relationship with God, today it just seems like a foreign language that we just struggle to comprehend. Anyone been in any of these places? Yeah. My other suspicion is as much as we've been in these places, too many of us have not known the safe places where we can share these struggles.
And as much as we've been at these places, now I'm not saying we have to share these struggles with everyone. Please, don't share them with everybody. It's not good for you. But find trusted people. So where do we start in responding to this? How do we respond? Okay, you ready? I'm going anyway, whether you're ready or not. Come on the journey with me. (laughs) I've got no destination, but come anyway. Who is this nut? Um, Here we go. Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Even in the waiting, there is a decision. There is a response. There is an active work. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. And just to make the point, he actually repeats the line. That's not actually a mistake. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I wait for the Lord. Some of us might be feeling a bit frustrated. Some of us might be feeling a bit dry, but we're not waiting for the Lord. We just keep barreling through. Actually, we might have forgotten what it is to abide with Jesus. We might have put down our Bibles or our quiet times or our listening to Jesus or waiting for Jesus a long time ago, but we're just barreling through because this, that suggests that I don't have as much power or control as I thought I did. The psalmist uses some incredibly lang- incredible language and imagery in their prayers and their songs. Things like, why do you hide your face from me, God? When will you wipe out my enemies? I love that. I should do a message on that one day, shouldn't I? When we want God to wipe our enemies. How long must I endure this torment and struggle? All words of the psalmists, all prayers and songs that we just gloss over in 30-second snap bites. There is a deepening relationship with God will give us the freedom to express ourselves when we are bewildered, when we are confused, when we're hurt, when we're angry, when we're searching and uncertain, when we're overwhelmed by the mystery, when we're overwhelmed by sadness, when we feel forsaken, cast out. A deepening relationship with God gives us the freedom to express this emotion. And it will, if we do the work and if we stay in the soil when we can't see the new sprouts bursting forth, then we will see the deep work transform us. But so many of us give up and walk away and just kind of become hardened against the deep work that God wants to do in us. And this is the work that might happen as teenagers and as it happens when we go into our 20s, into our 30s. And at every stage of life, there's a work that happens in us. It happens in different ways, in different expressions, in different experiences, but it can happen right across the age spectrum. No one is immune. And parents, it would be a good thing to teach our children some of these skills. Yep, that's really tough and I'm really sorry. 
What does it look like for us to learn to wait on the Lord? Yep, your friends aren't behaving the same way that we would like you to behave. Okay, that stinks. You've, your friends have got you in trouble, you know, business, whatever, you know. We would do well to have these conversations with our children and our grandchildren. But when we press into a deepening relationship with God, it gives us this freedom to express these emotions and we have the opportunity to learn the secret of what it is to be content in every situation. So when we let go of power and control, thinking we are the gods of our own destiny, which incidentally is idolatry, we move towards and have opportunity to grow in our understanding of the work that God is doing in us. We learn detachment from living up to the tasks of others or the expectations of others or simply staying busy because that's what the world demands of us. We live out of a deeper truth. Over the last few weeks, we've heard the story a few times of Jesus coming to the home of uh, Martha and Mary. We know the story. Martha's busy preparing, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. It struck me. I was told this a couple of weeks ago that there's some thought. So we actually think Jesus is coming just to visit the home. But there's some thought that Martha is actually the leader of a community. Now, I don't know if that's a minister or if she's a church leader, but she's actually the leader of a community. She's the one organising meetings, organising all the worship services. She's the one organising all the prayer gatherings, the Bible studies. Not just organising a nice three-course meal for Jesus, but actually organising everything that's happening around her community. Which puts this in a different context, doesn't it? Oh. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. So Jesus just doesn't address the one thing that Martha's asking him about. Jesus actually addresses the deeper issue. You're worried and upset about many things. Martha comes to Jesus and says, why aren't you asking Mary to help me do what I need to do? And it's not just preparing a meal, some would argue. And Jesus says, you're, it's actually, it actually goes deeper. There's, there's the surface. But actually, here's what's really happening. When will you pay attention to it? When will you trust me with it? And in Ephesians 1, using the message, verse 4, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Wrap your head around that. Had set her on us as the focus of his love. And here's what God is doing. Here's what he wants to do through these experiences. To be made whole and holy. To be made complete and set apart, not by anything that you've achieved, not by anything that you've accomplished, but not by anything that you've built, but by his love and only by his love. And do you know what that requires? That we let go of believing even <laughs> that we have power and control. Um, I stepped in, I want to share some of my story. You might not have heard some of this and I hope it's okay and um, I'm not asking for analysis or sympathy. It's just something that I felt was important in this time. So I, I stepped in my first full-time ministry at 26 into a place that I really shouldn't have got the job. 
uh, to be honest. They weren't, they weren't looking for me. Um, I stepped into a ministry where um, they'd uh, put out a call for a senior minister and uh, I applied and they actually asked me to come as the associate minister and the person they'd asked to be the senior minister said no. So I, at 26, with two children, is that all we had? Yeah. With two children, I became uh, the single pastor in a church that had previously had three pastors. Um, that had, over a number of years, had some hurt that still existed uh, from disagreements and some difficult uh, outcomes that happened 10 years early, had uh, multiple interim ministries. Uh, I led two services on Sundays, and by leading, I mean I preached uh, both services, often with different themes, because, you know, hey, I was the pastor of the church, right? Uh, so this is what we did. That's what they'd call me to do. The church was broken into, the church facilities were broken into twice within the first six months of my ministry. My first full-time ministry. Yeah, no big deal. Small trial. Yeah. Um, uh, there was strong historical and family connections. Uh, there was a challenge of addressing leadership issues, so much so uh, I was required in my first six to nine months to remove people from leadership positions because of decisions and behaviours that they are involved in. Quite strong, quite um, difficult. Um, I had people hand me their keys to the church. I had people accuse me of causing illness in their family over the course of this ministry. Uh, in the time of uh, in the first 18 months, uh, we searched for an associate pastor. We thought we'd employed one. One said yes, and then he said no. Um, so my stoicism, my youthfulness, and my sheer stupidity, quite honestly, meant that I just got on with it. Because that's what you do, right? That's what you do. This was the outcome. This was the cost. This was the sacrifice of ministry. This was the challenge of working and leading with people. A group of people who call you to lead and then don't want you to lead. I arrived home one day. I think, I, I think it was before an evening service. Because I, I used to actually work. I'd be down at the Sunday, you know, because Sunday's a work day. So I used to be down the service, uh, down the church early, um, finishing off messages and just being there and available and then I'd come home, have lunch, then I'd go back and just finalise maybe a couple of pastor visits before I got ready for the evening service. Because that's what you do, right? You're paid to work, do that. Um, I came home uh, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night and I was done, I was cooked. Do you remember this or not? Um, you're trying not to. Um, and I said to Andrea, I'm, I'm cooked. I'm, and I thought it was just a cold. I had a bit of a cold, snuffly nose, um, blocked head. You know, and that happens. I spent the next week sleeping 12 hours overnight, another three to four during the day. And as I look back on that now, I think that was probably my first struggle with some mental illness and burnout and depression. Back then, which was, what, 22 years ago now, it was called a virus. And that's all the doctor ever gave me. I had a virus. I had a few weeks off. I went back to work part-time, probably exhausted in lots of ways. And, uh, but I kept going because, you know, I was 28 by then. <clears throat> I'm a bloke. You just keep going, right? Because that's what you're paid to do. 
In the first few years of ministry here, I remember clearly saying to God, if there is anything in me that is not of you, take it away from me. It was a dangerous, stupid, ridiculous prayer. And it's one that I'm incredibly grateful for and I continue to pray. There's been other walls over the last 20 years, over other trials and sufferings, but the last few years I want to tell you, and again, without analysis, I'm not looking for any sympathy, but just to lay it before you as a gift that I'm trusting you with. Um, The last few years, I would say, have been the most emotionally draining and costly that I've ever felt. Ever felt. The diversity and the disunity and the divisiveness of opinions, the heartache of opinions, the heartache of friendships being broken, the disappointment of family not being able to visit their loved ones, holidays not being fulfilled, having those conversations, the disappointment that people have felt towards me because I haven't led properly or led right or I've bowed the knee to our government or I haven't bowed the knee to our government. It has been some of the most emotionally taxing and draining and costly years I've ever felt. And I know I wouldn't be alone in that. I'm just... So I have a group of people around me. Uh, My wife is an absolute godsend who just wakes up every day and says, well, today's a new day. Um, That's simplifying it a bit, but she's a great gift. And my family bring a great deal of joy and I have I'm required to have supervision as part of Churches of Christ to be endorsed with Churches of Christ in ministry and so meeting my supervisor a couple of weeks ago and he said to me Simon the work doesn't come cheap but it comes with work with wrangling that nourishes deeply and it brings transformation but there is a cost there is a cost. What have I learned? What am I learning? Uh, God is bigger than all of it. Colossians chapter 1. It's been my go-to verse over the last few years, a couple of years particularly, 18 months. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together now I don't mind telling you I don't fully understand that do you I can't fully comprehend that and I'm not here to tell you that because I've held on to this verse that you know I've been all smiles some of you know I'm not all smiles (laughs) um and this hasn't meant that I simply smile and pretend, but I, it's recognising the mystery of God. I'm learning, continue to learn the depth of his love, that he's making me whole and holy. And it's the invitation to trust him. In 1 Corinthians 7, I struggle with this verse, but I've decided to leave it in. The time is short, says Paul. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Now, I don't think he's saying ignore everything that you're a part of or going through, but keep it in perspective. Keep it in perspective. 
And then Paul writes to the Philippian church, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty, but I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And, and that all is I can be content in all things through him who gives me strength. Because I realise I don't hold all the power and the control. Often discontentment comes because we think we still hold all the power. Dissatisfaction comes because we think we have all the control. Look at it like this. The walls often remove something or someone from us. And as painful as it is, it also gives us a deeper awareness of God within us. But we would rather hold on to that which is taking life away from us than release power and control to discover the life that God has for us. Who are you? Without your homes... Without your bank accounts, your retirement plans, your holiday destinations or journeys, without your education, without your careers, without your family, without your investments, without your results, without your skills, your gifts, who are you? Now, some of those things make up who you are. There's no doubt about that. See, while we long for the journey to have a destination, and maybe we can take some hope, we do have some hope, because we have the promise of heaven, a promise of eternal life. There's no disputing that. A life with God once we have taken our final breath on this earth. We have a destination. But we're not just waiting in a boarding lounge, are we? What if the journey is also, what, uh, is also about what happens along the way? What if the journey is also about the work happening in us? As long as we draw breath, there is work happening in us. And there has to be work happening in us if we are walking along with the one who is the way. See, we're unable to talk about transforming our community if we are unable and unwilling for God to be transforming me first. And the wall invites us to trust God to do the inner work in us so that we can live, serve and love others knowing that we are firstly deeply loved. And in this time, in this space... I just want to give you one to two minutes again just to sit in the presence of God, just to call upon him and to see the ministry that he's speaking into in your heart, your minds, your body. What are the things you might need to let go of power and control in? What might it look like to come into the presence of Jesus in this moment?